0: Hello and welcome to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. Happy Tuesday. I'm your host, Ian Hardish ready to give you guys a good freaking show, I hope. Have a very good guest alongside me today to help accomplish that goal. He is fantasy football subject matter expert. This is my opinion, but also just a reality. Truly one of the best in the business. NBC, NBC Sports Edge finest. You've heard him also as a co-host on the Ship Chasing Podcast. Pat Corain, at Pat Corain on Twitter. Pat, truly, you're one of my favorite people in the industry. It's your second time on the show. Thanks for coming back, man.
1: You're one of my favorite people in the, in the industry, and so uh, it's oh, uh, it's it's great to be back.
0: So much cuteness already getting on here. Maybe <laughs> we can focus a little bit more on the football side of things. But truly, people, if you have not been catching Pat's work over at NBC Sports Edge, the amount of work you put in before the draft even happened with your just rookie tears and everything was simply spectacular. You know, just being willing to embrace the full I guess range of outcomes for all these players because that's I think the most frustrating part of this like every single NFL player is objectively awesome at football it's usually the situations you know their volume and just plain old bad luck sometimes that actually is what decides what's going on so actually taking the time to have nuanced thoughts on the matter Pat it might sound like common sense but as you know not always what we see in this industry
1: yeah it is funny because almost every single year the ADP around these rookies really hardens and like going off script, like by a couple picks, you know, even the overall picks, people are like, you're an idiot. (laughs) It's like, go look at the old ADP. Like, you know, I feel like if anything, we're not getting crazy enough with this stuff. And to your point about the NFL players all being good, in some ways you could argue all of these rookies are bad. Like they all need to get much better to ultimately become the fantasy stars that we're looking for. Like the bar that we're looking for, for talent from, you know, from a fantasy football perspective is so high. You need to be an absolute star. And so for any of these guys to become that type of player, they need to get much, much better going forward. So that's why this is ultimately so difficult to project is we need to figure out who's going to actually make a big leap in terms of their skill level in the next year or two
0: that is going to be the main topic of discussion today. I want to look at a redraft point of view, not too much dynasty talk today, just at 2022 in particular about these rookies and now how we feel about them based on the landing spot. It's not everything, but it does matter again, particularly when looking at 2022 because to Pat's point, maybe some of those rookies that aren't quite as ready will be forced to be ready sooner than uh, we anticipated just because of that open depth chart. So Pat, let's spend one question on an underwhelming position group, and that is the quarterback (laughs) class. You know, we thought we hated him before the draft we found out the nfl somehow hated them even more so before the draft you know malik willis pretty much consensus fantasy qb1 he throws the ball far and he runs a ton we we all accepted that we all got that fantasy qb1 malik willis but now all of a sudden man like Barring injury, barring just an atrocious first 10, 12 games from Ryan Tannehill, I really don't think we're going to see Malik Willis much, if at all, in 2022. If he had been a top 10 pick, different story. They, you know, two quarterback, obviously that's what we need to live with. But the same thing goes for most of these other guys, save for Kenny Pickett. So, Pat, out of Kenny Pickett, Matt Corral, Desmond Desmond Redder, and Sam Howell, who do you think is most worthy of a redraft dart throw? While fully understanding, probably not going to have any of these guys ranked inside our top 20.
1: I think it's Pickett. um, Unfortunately, you know, I wish uh, the question bars me from talking about Willis, which, uh, which I don't appreciate. (laughs) But, but Pickett is uh, so, you know, now that you've set it up like this, I'll I'll talk about Pickett, where I, I do think that the conversation around Pickett is a little off in terms of the fantasy aspect in terms of his fantasy archetype, because he's seen as like this very low ceiling guy. And I think that is true of his real life value like he's not going to become a superstar quarterback i don't think i mean i think basically everyone agrees that's it's a very low probability that he gets there but he's not like you know this really sophisticated kind of reader of of of, uh you know his reads reader of reads uh coverages (laughs) coverages yeah he's not sitting back there and going you know his first read second read third read and just like going through it like a veteran guy he He's kind of more of, and um, Hayden Winks has talked about how he thinks he's kind of like Ryan Tannehill and he's decently athletic. He's got decent size. I think we should think of him more as kind of like the Tannehill Baker Mayfield archetype and he's a willing scrambler. And he's also pretty good under pressure and he's got decent accuracy. So all of that is like, he's not going to panic under pressure. He's going to probably, he's, he's probably not getting to his third reader a lot, which means he's running. So while he's not like a true dual threat, I do think that, you know, he should he's not going to be like a Jimmy Garoppolo type of fantasy sore where you're just like getting, you know, depending on your league settings, like right. 18 points. while while other people are getting 24 and 25, like I do think, you know, he's got a shot at getting you kind of the the 20 points per game. And it, the only justifiable reason to take Kenny Pickett in the first round in a draft where no other quarterback goes on the goes on the not only the first, but the second round is that he's ready to go day one. Right. If you're the Steelers, the only reason to take him is because he's ready to go day one. He's got to beat out Mitchell Trubisky. I think we're all, you know, a little bit uh we, we're not like remembering as clearly how bad Trubisky really is. I think Pickett will beat him out in training camp. If he doesn't, I think the pick is already a disaster for the Steelers. What's the point of this? If he can't beat out Mitch Trubisky, but that's who I would be betting on. The other guy, Corral, very similar kind of profile scrambler, uh, decently accurate, probably more accurate than Pickett. Uh I think Darnold will get a couple starts, but then Corral will take that over. So those be the two guys. I'm not that into Ritter. I just don't like him as much as a prospect
0: congratulations on being the first analyst to talk about Pickett for an extended stretch and not bring up those baby-sized hands. (laughs) What do you think about his ability to enable Deontay Johnson? He's someone I'm a little bit lower on this year just because he's now being priced, basically, of what we've seen him operate. But, you know, are the Steelers really going to be one of the most pass-happy offenses again? Will Pickett lean on Deontay as much as he did over two other, in my opinion, viable receivers and Chase Claypool and now George Pickens? Like, I've seen Deontay be fantastic in all phases of the game, even some of these punt returns he's had over the years. The dude's great with the ball in his hands. We see the route running chops. I mean, he beat Jaguar Alexander deep at one point last year. He can do it all. I understand that. But my God, Pat, it seems like we need a lot to go right, and I despise doing some efficiency studies for wide receivers, and I know you know this. I don't like seeing Deontay Johnson alongside 10 other guys that we would never dream of using a top three-round pick on. Do you think Pickett, even if he's not going to be a top-end fantasy quarterback himself, can not help Deontay Johnson stay in the promised land?
1: Yeah, I think this feels a little bit like um like San Francisco last year where we were kind of taking stabs on receivers and it's like I don't want to draft all of these guys on the same team, but I want to draft them all. Uh also kind of like Denver last year where you're like I know I'm picking like if I take if I take Sutton and I take Judy like and kind of the answer was was no one really, but but you're kind of building in like this is probably not going to work out for everybody. And that's kind of how I feel about the Steelers right now. Is that like I, there's picket? Our pick ins is good. I think. I think he's a good prospect. And then Chase Claypool is good. Deontay Johnson's good. They're going to be dumping off to Najee. This isn't going to be a super high scoring offense. So someone's failing, yeah. but that doesn't mean that I'm not taking shots here. And and Johnson isn't super expensive. And I think your point about his well rounded skill set is a really good one. Ben Roethlisberger was targeting him constantly, but like he's targeting him. We're literally. He wouldn't run a route. He just stood Rothbard. there. <laughs> he stood there. Think that's not maximizing <laughs> Deontay Johnson's talent when his that's route is turned to the right, <laughs> and, and Roethlisberger will hit you. So if Pickett's like better than the, the corpse of Roethlisberger, which I think he could be, um, at least for fantasy purposes, you know, uh, he can. We can talk about an a dot for for Deontay Johnson. That's a little further downfield. The guy gets open at will. Pickett might lock on to him. I think there's outcomes where Johnson really beats his ADP. Those outcomes probably mean pretty bad seasons for for Claypool and Pickens, but that's okay. Uh, I think, you know, we, we still want to be taking shots. And I also want to be taking some shots on on Claypool. Maybe he's a big slot. Maybe maybe Pickett is locking on to him in that role. So I think someone on this offense is probably doing pretty good because I think there's, there's talented receivers in this offense
0: great point on Claypool. I believe there's a report that actually came out this week about Claypool maybe having the lead in the slot, which makes sense. He's played there more than Deontay has over the past two seasons. Pickens definitely doesn't profile um, as a slot type. Maybe they change it for the NFL, but um, with Deontay, like, I think people just kind of assume because he's like the shorter wide receiver that he's a slot guy. They did this with T.Y. Hilton for years at the end of his career, and it's like, no, he plays on the outside. It's legal to still do that in the year 2022, <laughs> so good stuff on Pickett. Last thing with these quarter backs uh, uh mentioned uh you know again just not expecting really malik willis to have a chance to start but with matt corral only facing sam donald you said before only a few weeks of Darnold maybe before we do get corral out there desmond ritter only behind marcus Mariota, sam Howell only behind Wentz. would you say that among those three probably it is corral ritter Howell in terms of likelihood like who's going to start the most games
1: yeah i i do i think Mariota, I mean, he has a familiarity with the with the offense. I mean, yeah. he did get beat out uh, by Brian Tannehill for a job in the offense, so it's not ideal. But I think Ritter's definitely behind the eight ball a little bit more than Corral. Where like the fact that Corral only has to beat out Darnold is really wild. Yeah. You know that that should be pretty easy. I wouldn't be surprised if he beat him out in training camp. I I just think Corral's more talented than Ritter. Uh, I I liked him a lot better as a. As a prospect, and he's not as athletic, but he was actually more willing to scramble. Yeah. Uh he's more accurate. So I'm more into corral and and maybe that's coloring the way I, I see this will go in terms of him earning starts. I liked Howell a lot, but fifth round, man, uh, that's that's, no. that's rough. And they clearly value Wentz. I don't know why, but they do, <laughs> you know. So I, I would be surprised. I kind of view him more like Willis where I think it all kind of has to come off the rails. They need to miss the playoffs, and maybe they they throw Howell out there for the last few weeks when they know they're not missing the playoffs, which is basically, I think, Willis's path to playing time this year as well.
0: Only in the NFL can you have, like, a Carson Wentz, a Baker Mayfield, like, truly a top 30 person on the entire planet at doing what they do, and we're just like, trash, don't want anything. <laughs> don't want anything to do with that guy. All right, man, enough quarterback talk, though. Let's get to the good stuff. Brees hall is with the jets so when this happened uh probably sent out some dumb tweet but i think like tweets during the draft should be the same as like tweets during primetime football games just let us bark let us say some shit that won't make sense a couple of days later let us have a good time so i didn't love the landing spot but the more i look at it man with Brees hall other than buffalo that was the dream you know getting that three down roll next to josh allen and just watch all the fancy points roll in other than buffalo Is there really a better spot that Brees could have ended up in than the Jets? With all due respect to you, Michael Carter stands out there. There is an opportunity to get a three-down roll, and there just really wasn't an open spot like Najee Harris had with Pittsburgh last year, I think, when you zoom out and look at the league.
1: I agree. It wasn't a very good uh, year for landing spots. I think Atlanta would have been pretty nice. Uh, You know, I I know uh, this is a a Cordero Patterson show, but (laughs) by the end of the year, he could have had that backfield to himself. So that would have been pretty nice. And, um, you know, I think it would have been a good fit for that system, same as he is for the system with the Jets. It's kind of the same thing. So uh, that's a little disappointing. I think long term, the Chargers would have been pretty nice. You know, I think you got two years left on the Eckler contract, and it's sort of like they form a, a one two punch. And then, like, yeah. it'd be pretty easy to get excited about the long term outlook for Hall because he profiles as a guy who'd be capable. As a receiver, he had 0.98 career yards per outrun, which is good, but it's not great. It's not like the type of back who typically like forces the issue. So I do think Michael Carter is a bit of an impediment, not just because he's pretty good, but he's going to be there a while. I mean, he's got three more years left on his rookie deal. Connor Hughes wrote in The Athletic, he thinks that LaFleur is philosophically committed to a running back by committee. So you don't love that. So I think, yes, there's not like that many spots. You know, I'm talking about the Chargers where he's playing with Eckler and we probably wouldn't be happy about that. But it's more like, yeah, there wasn't that spot uh, for him to go to. And I do think the Jets is definitely like a a spot where you do want to downgrade him. That said, I was doing my redraft rankings today for our draft guide. And I think I'm going to be ahead of market on Brees Hall just because he's really talented. Uh, let me see. I've had him. I know you got to pull this up. I got him
0: RB 16 right now. I was about to ask you like if he's freaky enough athletically, because some of the comp groups I've seen are just out of this world. Like I I hear you, Michael Carter's there, but we know it in today's NFL. There's only a couple backfields that really are run by one back. So are we willing to go with breeze over guys like Zeke, like Montgomery, who, yeah, probably not the same athletic specimen, but maybe we're a little bit more sure about that week to week workload right now.
1: I am running back 14.
0: There we go. Higher than me. Okay.
1: Answer's that. <laughs> I'm like, no,
0: I think, that's, I think that's where it should be going.
1: Because, you know, I think one of the real issues with the draft this with drafts this year, is that there's a ton of running backs who are like 27, yeah. right? Or they're like late 26. And that is not, uh you know, I, I that is like kind of where the age cliff begins yep. for these running backs. And it can go quick. When it goes for running backs, it goes really quick. And you're also looking at guys like, you know, I have him behind Kamara, but I'm tempted to put him ahead because he got a potential suspension. Kamara was not nearly as efficient last year. Uh, Kamara's entering his age 27 season. So, you know, I'm looking at guys like, yeah, Zeke. I want him over Zeke. I mean, Michael Carter's not coming for Brees Hall's job. Tony Pollard might be coming for Zeke's job. I know we've been predicting it for like two and a half years, but it could (laughs) happen this year. So, yeah, I think I'm still ahead of market just because he's talented. He's sort of insulated in the sense of like he's not getting benched. You know, he's not getting outplayed in a three down role. But the upside is definitely not as high as it could have been
0: couple of the teams we mentioned with those landing spots, Chargers, Falcons, Texans, they did eventually fill that spot, but it was just with a day three back. So yeah, if we could have gotten that round two capital in that spot, that could have led to a lot more excitement. But only one other guy really did get that round two draft capital. That was Kenneth Walker. Sorry, James Cook as well, but we'll talk about him in a minute. I get it with Walker. You turn on the highlights and it's a fun time. Like Pat, you know, people that know more than me about running backs talk about his vision, his contact balance, all these great things that I fully understand they exist. But damn it, man, these are words that we never even dream of using in fantasy football between September and January every year. What do we care about? Volume. What does Seattle not really have open? Volume. Like there is a chance that Rashad Penny just works as their starting running back for this entire year. Not likely, but it would not be the first time we've seen this team just roll with you know their running back over someone that has the superior draft capital. God forbid we even see someone like a DJ Dallas or a Travis Homer take that pass down role like they continue to do when Penny was even going off last year. So how do you kind of rank Walker as opposed to guys like Clyde Edwards-Alaire, uh, Cordero Patterson, Miles Sanders, who were way more confident in the role? Maybe they don't have Walker's like, natural talent or upside, though
1: yeah i'm actually i think part is i'm not that confident in those guys role for like the whole season okay. um like sanders i would be i wouldn't be shocked if like he his playing time decreased throughout the year it's the last year of his deal they're probably eyeing you know a different backfield construction next year ceh has just not been good um i do have ceh ahead of him just because you know chief's running back i have him ahead of patterson and sanders but uh I don't feel great about ranking Kenneth Walker and I'm like way below the market on him because yeah, like a, a rookie committee back who doesn't catch passes by the way, he's 211 pounds. So is he the goal line back. If he's not the goal line back, you're in trouble, man, you're in trouble as a rookie. Like how do you project high value touches for Kenneth Walker? It's, it's difficult. So it's like you got a between the twenties runner who's paired with Rashad Penny who all he does is rip off long touchdowns. There may not even be that many carries between now they're in a
0: terrible offense.
1: (laughs) They're in a terrible – I'm glad you said it first because I know (laughs) know your boy Drew Locke is is going to be captain of the ship here. (laughs) But, yeah, I'm not a fan of of this offense either. And then, like, Rashad Penny, the the interesting thing is that the Seahawks, you know, they – They did this to Rashad Penny. They played other running backs over a guy they took in the first, and now they could play Rashad Penny over the guy they just took in the second, which would be kind of delightfully ironic. But Penny was so good last year. If you look at rush yards over expected, uh, the NFL next-gen stat, which is one of my favorite running back stats, uh, Jonathan Taylor led the way there. Nick Chubb was second. Rashad Penny was third. He had 23 fewer rushing yards over expected than Chubb. He had 109 fewer attempts. Rashad Penny led the league in rush yards over-expected per attempt by like a wide margin. The dude was going off at the end of the year. I don't know, man. Like, So in addition to the bad offense, in addition to him maybe not having the goal line roll or catching passes, I, he's sharing the backfield with this guy? This doesn't sound great at all. So, like talk, I, I want probably, to lower
0: him more than I already did just talking through I mean, this, man.
1: I know. I think I'm lowering him as well after, uh, after this conference. I mean, to be honest, I want to rank Penny over him not because I think Penny will have the better season even, but like when Penny has the better season than Kenneth Walker, he might have an incredible season. Yeah. I just have such a hard time seeing Walker becoming this running back who you need this year. Like what's the path to you needing Kenneth Walker to your point about DJ Dallas or Travis Homer, like his his yards per route run profile is is one where you expect him to be a two down guy. Like even if he hits to be like a pure two down guy. So yeah, I think I just talked myself into Sanders and
0: <laughs> I think so, too, man. We haven't, like, with a rookie, it's a different. We haven't seen him in Seattle. They did take him with a second-round pick. Maybe he walks out and is the lead dog, but we had this tendency in fantasy to, I think, like, just – try to will guys to disappear from these committees It happens with melvin gordon seemingly every single place he's at like jd mckissick with antonio gibson so i'm not saying that walker won't work ahead of these guys but i don't think we're giving nearly enough credit to this group and we didn't even bring up chris carson who is could be healthy like i don't know it's a degenerative
1: neck issue i could not think <laughs> and they of say worse... they want him as the starter if he's back God
0: damn <laughs> Yeah not great i'm, I'm putting Miles Sanders over kenneth walker it's, yeah, it's just me too. when look at all the things that we just said had to go right like and, and for what to be the seahawks the shitty ass seahawks lead running back and he's probably still yeah. like doesn't even have the three down rule. so sorry kenneth walker great player and, but
1: and like i do think he'll outscore penny but i'm always thinking about like what what if i fade this guy and he hits like how bad does it hurt because i was yeah. not high on Najee harris last year and guess what it was fine you know, like Najee Harris kind of did everything everyone thought in terms of the workload, but he wasn't efficient, which was like, you know, his profile suggested he might not be very efficient in terms of yards per hour run, which he wasn't, and or in terms of hitting big plays, which he didn't do that either. So it's like, if a guy is going to be fairly expensive, obviously much less expensive than Najee, and it's just like, what's the actual ceiling to where, like, you had to have this guy? I can see a ceiling with Penny, where it's like, if you didn't have Penny in the year 2020-2022, like, you didn't win. Like, that... Do you, do you see that with him? Maybe I'm just getting too carried away with last year.
0: I mean, he was always good. That was the thing. He just got hurt early on in his career. But, like, as a rookie, he was averaging over five yards per carry, which, okay, I know it's not the end-all be-all stat for running backs, but still pretty good. And his second year, man, I remember he had a touchdown against, like, the Steelers, I want to say, like, week two or something. And he just, like, bounced outside, just exploded out of a cannon. And I was like, oh, shit, Rashad Penny is actually, like, a really good running back now. I see why he went in the first round. So, if, he, if we're going to see this price discrepancy grow where, like, Penny becomes uh, in going in, like, the RB, you know, outside the top 36 and stuff, like, he's going to be the only guy probably in that range that has the chance to take over his team's job and actually get, like, 250 carries. So yeah. from that perspective, I think you're right. Because so I was loving Penny around that RB 30 mark before the draft because it didn't really make much sense for the Seahawks to add another running back here. But, you know, alas. They're the Seahawks. They're the Seahawks. All right. Talked about the big two. Four additional day two backs. So, other than Hall and Walker, got James Cook going round two. And then in three, round three, guys in Rashad White, Tyrion Davis Price, and Brian Robinson. Each one of them looking like the RB2 or worse, but these are some pretty good offenses we're talking about here, with the exception of Robinson and Washington at cost. So, considering ADP now, slash kind of where you think it might be closer to August, who interests you the most out of this group for just 2022?
1: Rashad White, which, you know, I don't think people are going to be as excited about for 2022 because you got Leonard Fournette there. Leonard Fournette just handled the whole backfield last year, but white has this elite receiving profile that we rarely see. It's not just that he was involved a ton as a receiver, which he was, but he had incredible efficiency, 2.59 career yards per route run. Uh, He's one of only seven counting a very small sample size for David Johnson uh, drafted prospects with a career yards per route run of 2.3 or better you got David Johnson, Christian McCaffrey, Kenyon Drake, Alvin Kamara, Kenny Gainwell, and Joe Mixon is that group. And, uh, you know, as, as Anthony Miko told me today, Gainwell – we're not done with Gainwell. So, <laughs> outside of him, it's just an incredible group. Um, I'm done with but, Gainwell. I'm sorry, Anthony. I'm <laughs> still taking flyers. But, yeah, I mean, I just want uh, to bet on, on these guys who are incredibly efficient receivers because they're going to find their way on the field. And with – as opposed to Gainwell – you actually have some decent size with Rashad at like 214 pounds and I think that size in this in this case is especially key because the narrative around white is like guys let's get real he's not going to be Tom Brady's third down back and guess what I don't care it doesn't have to be he just has to get on the field uh Ronald Jones had 42 targets in 2020. Ronald Jones had 42 targets in 2020 i know you love the
0: guy but (laughs) probably objectively the worst receiving running back in the nfl had that many
1: targets and guess what he did not play on third downs he did not play in the two-minute drill he was never out there in obvious passing situations never ever ever it was dario It was anyone but him so it's like it's so clear that with tom brady all you have to do is get on the field and you'll get targets and if you're rashad white in that case you can you can flash incredible ability to the point where yeah, maybe in like situations where they're going to be calling pass blocking plays, he won't be out there, but he would see a, a growth in terms of his, uh, his efficiency or his, uh, his opportunity as a receiver. And also, like, Darryl Gouwale played with, with Tom Brady and was quite, quite bad. So I, I do think that they will maybe eventually get White out there on third downs if he doesn't make too many mistakes. But really, it just comes down to this level of receiving uh, efficiency, this level of receiving volume and size and athleticism by the way and draft capital yeah. like that it just doesn't come around very often when it does I'm just betting on it every time you're gonna have to burn me like another five times with this profile before I move off it and you know Leonard Fournette I think consolidating a workload is like a talent in some sense but he, he hasn't been very efficient he hasn't been very he just hasn't been very efficient at any point um, almost in his career so for a, a guy they just took in the third round to work his way on the field, if he's as talented as the profile suggests he might be, it's not that far-fetched. I mean, White's, or uh, Fournette is not that young anymore. It would make sense for them to have another back spelling him at times. And if we get that, it could be could be kind of a Ramondre Stevenson situation where we see more and more of him over the course of the year.
0: I don't think White's going to have that much of an impact to Fournette's weekly role as long as he's healthy, but man, what if something happens to Fournette? It's not like Fournette's like the only running back in the league. We don't have to worry about injury risk for like, if we say that Fournette's equally, equally injured, man, I think we can put White right there alongside like Alexander Madison and Khalil Herbert as running backs where they are one injury away from potentially being a top 12 player. Like seriously, like that could be White's best case scenario. If they just, Fournette gets hurt, and they say, White, you are our new Leonard Fournette. Do you Bernard? will come in on the two-minute drill. But, like, Fournette had basically – to your point, even if he hadn't taken over the pass down role from Giovanni Bernard, he was still vying for the league lead in receptions like even before Gio got hurt last year. That's how much Brady's going to feed his running backs, whether it's Fournette, whether it's Rojo, whether it's Rashawn White. So where I've seen him going right now, man, I am happy to scoop him up in that RB4 range because maybe we do get a little bit of standalone value. I think that's on the table for Madison and Herbert as well in brand new offenses and systems and maybe just maybe with an injury, we're talking about someone that's going to be on the title of every single waiver wire column that following monday with the other two guys james cook I had this thought in my mind that, you know, because they flirted with Isaiah McKenzie a little bit, even playing running back a few snaps here and there. I was like, maybe they just want to go full on, you know, four wide receivers and kind to have Knox out there, have James Cook there, like make a scat back, your full-time running back and just don't run the ball pretty much. Uh, why the hell not? It's what we do in Madden all the time. But to hear Brandon Bean come out and literally say like they view James Cook as a sub back, they're kind of, you know, replacement for JD McKissick. I just think we're going to continue to see the Buffalo Bills not have a top 30 ppr running back like they basically haven't during the entire josh allen era and then with brian robinson looking at what he did at Alabama, I think he caught like 35 passes his last season pass blocking up and down, but we saw some good tape in the senior bowling. I don't know, man. When when you're a 220 plus pound running back, I don't I think you can learn how to pass protect, particularly when you kind of got that dude's um, attitude, but you look at that in Washington, man. If Antonio Gibson can't get the three-down roll, I don't know if Brian Robinson is going to be getting there anytime soon. That's my, like. that's what I'm trying to look for with these guys. Like, if a couple things break their way, do they even have the ability to handle a three-down role and it seems like Rashad White is that guy.
1: Yeah, I think Cook could as well, but he's undersized. So it's just harder to see him them like really leaning on him. And they, the they already way. called him
0: a sub back Like that's their words not mine. I'm with you. Man. I think he probably could handle it. It's only 10 pounds that we're kind of digging him right. for, but
1: uh. and maybe he maybe he can in a couple years. Yeah you know, uh, he puts on 10 pounds it, it might be a different story but uh it, it's harder to see this year. Kind of more of a of a passing down guy
0: yeah i mean look i would love to be right about every single player evaluation sometimes you know shout out duke johnson i think i am right over what some of these nfl teams of what these nfl teams decide but it doesn't matter i can be right about duke that wouldn't have gotten me very far over the past couple years if i just continued (laughs) to go to that well so good stuff yeah go ahead
1: I have a call make- to make on the Darien Wallach point because apparently I got my years confused. Uh, I think he was in the Jags in 2020, but they played the Sean McCoy on third down. So if the point. That's stands.
0: right. Okay, same thing. Oh my God, dude! 2019. I remember going like they legit would have weeks where it was like um, it was Rojo, Dari, and who was their third one? Oh, Peyton Barber. That was the Peyton third guy Barber. we had there. Yeah. And like no running back would even clear like 35 <laughs> percent snaps. Absolute full blown <laughs> committee nightmare. All right, let's talk about some day three backs now historically rookie year and even moving on the career if you were not drafted in the first three rounds back against back is against the wall in fantasy land we have seen some guys overcome it though being good running backs in their own right and just landing in the right situation you know fifth round jordan howard undrafted free agent james robinson zach stacy back in the day Uh, Philip Lindsay, there's been a handful of guys, but really just over the course of 10 years, not that many. That's why it pisses me off when people are like, who's this year's James Robinson? Like, who's this year's decades? Who's next decades James Robinson? Because that's how often you see an undrafted running back put together a legit RB1 season. With that said, we got Isaiah Spiller with the Chargers, Tyler Algier with the Falcons. Two spots that we noted do have enough available opportunity, particularly on early downs, for someone to maybe carve out a role sooner rather than later. Are you interested in either Spiller or Algier at cost, even though they have the day three capital of making a 2022 impact?
1: Yeah, especially Algier. I I like him a lot. Um, And, you know, I think the more typical outcomes like a a Michael Carter or a, um, a Ramondre Stevenson, like those are the types of outcomes that I think you know we, we can chase a little bit. Yeah. Um, but Algier it, it feels a little Jordan Howardy. You know, mm-hmm. you you've got a, a backfield that I think is is somewhat open. Like they they really scaled down how much they were using Patterson. They started using him more as like a traditional running back at the end of the year, which which was no fun. Yeah. Um, and if you look at Algier, like he's not very fast. I think he ran a four, six, forty. But he had really strong breakaway numbers. And I think in the kind of Howard mold where he's gonna get up to speed quickly enough and kind of a one-cut type of guy, you know, he can and he's like he's a big dude. He's like over, I think he's like two, two twenty-four. So he's gonna be tough to tackle at speed, you know, and this is the system where they're familiar with trying to get a running back who's big up to speed quickly you know they're basically they took the titans backup quarterback now they're taking algier who would be a very good backup for derrick henry but he we might got, be got a anthony starter
0: Birch, we got anthony first <laughs> backing yeah. up kyle pitts now too
1: <laughs> let's go the backup titans i kind of <laughs> like him in the backup titans type of mold i i think you know can be kind of a deontay foreman type dude in this offense if he's going to be starting from the week one in that type of role which i think is is a plausible outcome yeah uh then i i think he's kind of a steal right now spiller is more of a priority handcuff uh i'm a little bit less bullish on his talent level i mean he's there's some things to like but the athleticism really wasn't there um grant barfield uh in terms of yards created was not a fan uh of isaiah spiller so i'm a little bit less bullish on him but i do think you want exposure in kind of the contingency value play with Spiller, just because that backfield is so valuable. And I do think he'll end up being quite a bit better than, you know, Josh Kelly and stuff.
0: Really weird how Justin Jackson hasn't, I'll not only not been resigned, but just hasn't gotten seemingly any interest elsewhere. That's kind of the last thing we need to fall in order to fully get behind Mm -hmm. Isaiah Spiller. I'm not really, you know, I'm not, I am worried about Kelly and Roundtree. I'm not just completely saying Spiller's got them beat out, but Jackson would be the one where if he's back there, fully expecting him to be RB2, so keep an eye on that. I mentioned these guys earlier, but here is the full list. There's only been five top 24 fantasy football uh, rookies that were not drafted inside the top three rounds over the past 10 years. Alfred Morris, Zach Stacy, Jordan Howard, Philip Lindsay, and James Robinson. To your point with Tyler Algier, man, he fits the landing spot, fits that prototype. It's a pretty much wide open backfield. Like, Cordero Patterson is going to get, if he's healthy, like 200 combined carries and targets. And that's fantastic. But as we saw with Mike Davis last year, man, like he was pushing for that number as well. And if we can get that out of a legit RB4, RB5 in fantasy, I'll sign up for that. And then you throw in the possibility of CPAT getting injured. Like, you know, Patterson and Damian Williams, two 30-plus-year-old running backs. I know CPAT's my guy and everything, but that's the sort of situation we should be willing to bet on.
1: And the nice thing about Algier is he is not a zero as a receiver. Career yards per hour on 1.11, that's better than Brees Hall. Like, he Ooh. he could be pretty good as a receiver. And, again, kind of that bigger guy who kind of can get up to speed and it's difficult to bring down, you know, maybe Fournette type of receiver, James Connor, you know, people have Compton, people have Compton Algier to, to James Connor, which I think is a really interesting one. So I wouldn't view him as kind of just purely a Jordan Howard in like a two down rusher only type. He could actually be more of a, a three down type uh, if it all kind of breaks right for him with Patterson.
0: Good stuff on running backs. Let's get to some wide receivers and guess what? No tight end talk. Everyone. Thanks a lot, Arizona. Like we have <laughs> one, maybe one guy you put him behind Zachers, even Jelani woods, man. Now you go to the Colts and get that yeah. three tight end committee. Miss me with that, but we got some good wide receivers to talk about here. Drake London, like the discourse on drake london was weird he was kind of this year's prospect that was like you know quote unquote falling but no football was being played i know he didn't end up doing his testing uh at his pro day which didn't help matters people had the concerns about the speed but you know kind of everyone overthought this and then like the draft comes around oh okay he's the eighth overall freaking pick in the entire draft we do have kyle pitts there he's going to be taking plenty of pass game volume but my God, man! Like, there's a chance that Drake London sees 130, 150 targets in year one. Do you think there's a legit wide receiver one on the, ta- on, like, on the table here? I know I'm not putting him in the Jamar Chase, Justin Jefferson category at this point, but NFL just told us he's a top 10 player in the draft. He doesn't have any target competition. I would like to have a better quarterback than Marcus Mariota under center, but you know, it's sticking out to me from the PFF draft guy, Mike Renner said sooner rather than later, Drake London's going to be a 100 catch, 10 touchdown a year guy. Maybe that year could be 2022.
1: Yeah, I, I'm a little skeptical that it'll be 2022. But and I and I also was, was more on Burks than London coming in. But everything I'm about to say also applies to Burks. This isn't a Burks first London thing. Okay. This is this is a how rookie wide receivers get there thing. Which Jamar Chase is kind of the massive exception where he like was the engine of his team's high volume passing offense like right out of the gate. But just so many. You know, unlikely to repeat circumstances. I mean, one, he's reuniting with his quarterback. He's also like a generational prospect, which we knew we drafted him differently than we draft other rookie wide receivers. Like everyone was on the same page that Jamar Chase is different. Turns out that he's different. But I think the more typical outcome for a rookie wide receiver is more like a Devontae Smith, where we get like excited about how does anyone else get targets here? You know, he's going to be clearly the number one wide receiver. But Smith only ran 31.2 routes per game last year, which is well below the average for a top 40 ADP wide receiver. Because when you have a rookie wide receiver as your clear number one option, you tend not to pass a lot, right? And I think the Falcons are in this situation where it's like, you look at their depth chart, and you're like, this does not seem like they should have <laughs> been okay with this going into the season. Like, you didn't finish your depth chart. What happened? Um <laughs> And you could make the, the exact same case for the Titans. They're not going to pass a lot. Like, they're just not. They're, and they have, you know, in the Falcons' case, Marcus Mariota or Desmond Ritter as a quarterback. That would also lead you to believe they're not going to pass a lot. So I think we'll see routes in terms of opportunity, you know, the routes being low for Drake London. That said, we do see rookie wide receivers hit. They tend to hit through efficiency. And Drake London, in terms of earning targets should do so at a very high rate. And my hope is that, you know, he's, he's used on a fair amount of shallow stuff in like short intermediate stuff. Um, he's been compared, you know, kind of like to have like more of a, like a Michael Thomas type of role. Um, I think he could be kind of like a Marcus Colston type. So if he's in that type of role, like almost like a possession receiver type of guy, uh, maybe get some work out of the slot, uh, I mean, he could definitely be really valuable this year, but I do—I'm a little skeptical that it turns into like a true wide receiver one this year, as I am of Burks, uh, just because these offenses are not going to embrace the pass in a way that's going to facilitate it, unless Drake London right out of the gate is a superstar, which we do see sometimes, and he's good enough prospect where that is possible
0: with these, you know. There are different types of receivers, but your Darnell Mooney's, Drake London, Trey Lumber, Brandon Cooks, the number one pass game option in a bad passing game that we don't necessarily want. That much to do with, but we say, oh my God, the volume. Think about the potential target share at hand. Do you have a kind of general philosophy and like how do you take someone like that versus a Gabriel Davis and Allen Robinson a number two player maybe doesn't have the same target ceiling but we can certainly see them you know flirting with 10 plus touchdowns far easier in a loaded passing game right now Pat I'm kind of leaning towards the Gabriel Davises of the world like just you know if I'm getting an extra 20 targets per season with Darno Mooney that's nice but I think if there is a time to you know chase the heightened efficiency it's more so a wide receiver than running back
1: yeah, I, I, I want to be chasing the efficiency and I want to that comes down to the talent, right? I I love the wide receiver position in terms of evaluating it for prospects in terms of, you know, just drafting it. <laughs> but it's because I feel like I'm taking really talented players and I'm betting on that talent to shine through where you can bet on talent to shine through at the running back position, but it doesn't it doesn't always happen. You know, or it'll happen, but it'll be like, oh, maybe we should have played that guy more last year. (laughs) It's like it doesn't it doesn't like change things in the same way where if you have a guy like Justin Jefferson, it didn't matter what the plan was for Justin Jefferson as a rookie. Like he came in and they were like, oh, okay, we're going to do some things differently than we thought we might. Um, That's you know, that it's harder to see that uh, happening, you know, running back. And I do love betting on that at wide receiver. So I tend to be more of the talent. I think the premium version of what you're talking about with, with Mooney versus Gabriel Davis is T Higgins versus CD lamb. And I think mm. I'd rather have T Higgins, man. T Higgins is a Ooh. star T Higgins. I, I don't think he was fully healthy last year. And that offense looks incredible. And he had, he flashed, right. I mean, he flashed incredible talent. Defenses are not going to be able to focus on him. Obviously. Uh, Ceedee Lamb has been good, but he hasn't been this elite talent that we thought he might be yet. Maybe maybe this is the year, but like, yeah, I don't know. I, and, and luckily, the the market doesn't agree with me on this take, so I can just quietly <laughs> uh, scoop T Higgins after Ceedee Lamb, and I don't have to like, you know, be right about this. But <laughs> but that's the one where I'm like, man, I kind of kind of would just rather have T Higgins when it comes down to it. But yeah. obviously, it's not always the case. Like, I don't I don't always want the. Um, with the guy who's like in the better offense if I don't think he's the better player.
0: I would say, you know, it, and you said it's a different version of the argument, but, you know, Cowboys versus Bengals, okay, I'll get Burrow better than Dak, that's fine, but I don't think it's as big of a difference as some of the other guys uh, we're necessarily discussing, but Bengals, I got Higgins and Chase, you know, easy top 12, I think most should, maybe uh, 13, I got to see where I have them, but might not be uh, high enough, Pat, but the one uh, interesting one interesting <laughs> have to do thing with
1: McCarthy about, over in Cincinnati. So. Yeah, that's a
0: good point. Um, the one thing I was going through today, because from 2010 to 2020, there's an average of four point three teammates that finished both as top 24 PPR wide receivers in the same season. So about four, maybe five instances of that per year. If you look across the league, there are a lot of situations that we're kind of anticipating that to potentially happen. Buffalo, Miami, Cincinnati, um, as I'm going through this, I'm sure this is great podcast uh, listening. Denver, the Chargers, potentially. The Cowboys, Buccaneers, depending on the Gallup and Goblin health in the mm-hmm. matter. The Vikings, if Adam Thielen is going to actually play 16 games, not completely out of the realm of possibility. And then I think you could throw the Rams in there as well. So, you know, I just listed like eight or nine teams, 49ers. I mean, Brandon Ayuk from Week Eight on was a top 24 wide receiver. Maybe the Drew Locke experience turns out well, and Metcalf and Tyler Locke could get back to doing their thing. <laughs> So it is one of those where you know we can kind of talk ourselves into eight to ten different situations, potentially enabling this. History tells us it's a little it's, it's a little bit different. But hey man, that we have seen what's the, the league
1: moving. What's the historical Sorry. rate?
0: 4.3 pairs oh of God. teammates per year. So it's problematic. But I will say, um, what uh Graham Barfield had a tweet yesterday where he was showing like the number of rookie wide receivers to get over hundred targets has been spiking recently. So throwing the ball more maybe we'll see more uh you know teams just producing multiple high end teammates crazier things have happened after all let's talk about yeah th- yeah go ahead sir
1: well i think there's there's some of it too where you, you do have some contingency value contingency value isn't as strong at wide receiver as it is a running back but i mean like you know if if jamar chase misses four games like t higgins is going to smash yeah. over that stretch most likely and maybe maybe it'll be like two duds and two unbelievable smashes but because that's how wide receiver scoring tends to work but you know, I, I think uh, you have that a bit with with a number of these situations. I mean, IUK could could really, really benefit if if Debo. I mean, Debo's got this this contract issue. So you've got that level of contingency value. So I think that's one way to you probably want to be a little bit overweight um, that four point three. Right. Because you have you also have that contingency value issue.
0: Absolutely. Real quick on Higgins, we have a cool tool on pff.com, expected points, brainchild of Kevin Cole. It's just a good way of showing like who are the biggest overachievers in terms of what we were expecting from their volume. You can also look at underachievers. Best running back last year was Jonathan Taylor. Best wide receiver, Jamar Chase. Makes sense. In terms of pure expected points per game, though, T. Higgins actually had a higher expected PPR points per game total than Jamar Chase. I mean, when they were both out there, they were getting fed pretty much equal and even leaned a little bit more towards Higgins we're not saying draft Higgins ahead of Jamar Chase Chase outperformed it I think we all believe he we is the better wide receiver there but it really is like it's not one than two man it's 1A mm-hmm. and like 1AA I don't even want to say it's like 1B going <laughs> there so. I love it and that, yeah and that was uh, you know hand up one of my misses on uh you know Tyler Boyd last year I thought it'd be more of a kind of three-way thing going on than the two but well, we've watched the film gotten better and we'll continue to apply that <laughs> ahead and beyond so more wide receivers we got Garrett Wilson Chris Olave, Jamison Williams and Traylon Burks you mentioned before I believe you had Traylon as your number one wide receiver going out so if that's I understand if you're just you know trusting the talent and everything but based on the landing spot who do you think gained the most and then who uh, just suffered the most pure landing spot
1: I, I mean I do think Burks gained a lot from the landing spot because of the player archetype that we weren't sure how teams were going to use him, and I think one of the worst things that could happen to him is he lands in a spot where it's like a coach we don't feel great about, and they're like he can do everything, where Swiss Army knife. We're going to yeah, put him in the backfield. Good. We're going to do this. We're going to do that, and it's like you're not as smart as you think you are, and this is probably just going to be a disaster. Yeah. I think it's great that he goes and basically has to be the replacement for AJ Brown. He's not going to be as good as AJ Brown, but like that's the big wide receiver yards after catch is is what we are hoping for with Burks. And like A.J. Brown, he played in the slot uh, in college, but hopefully he'll be able to move to the outside and get used in a variety of ways, sure, but primarily operate as a traditional outside X, Y receiver. I think that quietly is is pretty huge for Burks. Um, but in some ways, I think you could make a case Jameson Williams gained the most in the sense that, like, regardless of his quarterback and anything else, he was the 12th pick coming off a torn ACL. Like, what? <laughs> that yeah, it? He funny. tore it in January. I mean, the NFL thinks extremely highly of him. And I do think, like, the draft capital, you know, he could have been maybe a top-five pick if he was healthy. Like, that's sort of what it's telling us. So uh, I think that's super impressive. I think Garrett Wilson got hurt the most. Uh, we're not excited about the landing spot. Elijah Moore's there. Corey Davis is like one of those guys who we're going to just pretend doesn't exist, but he does (laughs) exist. He got targeted at a really high rate last year. Uh, Zach Wilson was like locking on him. Uh, I think he's got a role in that offense. I'm not worried about the Denzel Mims hype cycle that we're getting again this May. I (laughs) I don't think think that'll impact Garrett (laughs) Wilson. (laughs)
0: <laughs> Where they, when these people say this, like, this is what pisses me off about, um, you know, your quote-unquote real-life football analysts. Like, they never have to rank these guys, so they just let shit fly out of their mouth. Like, oh, yeah, Denzel Mims is set up for a big role. Where? Who is leaving the field between Corey Davis, Elijah Moore, and fucking uh, now Garrett Wilson? Dude, Braxton Barrios will probably Dude, play Barrios. ahead of Denzel Mims. Like,
1: hundred percent. hell on with this. Yeah, it's literally a team's wide receiver five. And they're like, oh, he's going to be big this year. You should draft him. Really flashing yeah.
0: out there with no pads on.
1: <laughs> but I, I do think that uh, for fantasy purposes, you could argue that Garrett Wilson is a is a winner in the sense that we're all going to be able to get him more inexpensively now. His ADP yeah. is going to drop. And this guy's an awesome prospect. Uh, I, I'm not going to have enough in Dynasty. I, I know I already feel like I'm going to be underweight uh, what I want to be. He basically checked every box. He's a little smaller than we'd like, 183 pounds, but he's got sub four four speed. Uh, he was very efficient in college. He was very productive despite playing with Chris Olave and Jackson Smith and Jigba, who could be the number one wide receiver coming out next year. It's, it's a really impressive profile for Garrett Wilson. Um, if you're getting a discount on him, like he's not as talented as London and Burks when he, I think, is. Yeah. And, you know, like I said before, you're kind of making a bet on efficiency here. Like the Jets, maybe the Jets pass a little bit more than these other teams, and Garrett Wilson is just uncoverable as a rookie, which is possible. We've seen that before, you know, and he's got the type of profile where uh, that really shouldn't be shocking. So to get him at a big discount to the other guys, uh, it does feel like kind of a, a win for us.
0: I want Zach Wilson to be good so bad. Like we would have Elijah Moore, Garrett Wilson doing their thing. We could have Brees Hall balling out there. And like the way Zach Wilson plays football is just fun to watch. Like when it goes, when it goes bad, it's terrible. I get it. But my God, man, like not too many people just like, it's weird to me how Trevor Lawrence gets a complete pass for last year. And we're not Mm -hmm. willing to give that to Zach Wilson. When I think if you actually watch the two guys, like Wilson was, in my opinion every bit as good as Lawrence last year if not even better I think some of the I think his high against Tennessee was better than anything uh Lawrence had going 92. for 60 minutes uh but yes, yes Corey Davis firmly uh, as you said one of those guys we're gonna pretend uh like he doesn't matter even though he's gonna be out there in three wide receiver sets the Jets can get out of this contract after 2022 mm-hmm. but they would be eating 13.6 million in dead money if they try to get rid of Corey right now it's not happening don't Except, don't tell yourself it's going to happen just because you're afraid about trying to project this messy situation. So, hopefully, Garrett does rise to the top there. My dynasty wide receiver won it before the draft. Jahan Dawson being forgotten about a little bit. First round wide receiver. I think people kind of scoffed because he really. Even though people liked him, I think we all kind of had our consensus top five, and he wasn't really in it. So when he goes to Washington, we already had Terry McLaurin there. Just not a lot to really love about the situation either. So with Dotson, are you willing to move him for 2022 behind guys like Christian Watson and Sky Moore who have the better landing spot? But, you know, if we just lined up the guys based on draft capital history and kind of where you think his prospects, Dotson has the spirit of draft capital. I think he's in easily the same tier as the players if not better, just the situation isn't as good. How are you approaching these three? I,
1: I think I'm a little lower on Dotson as a prospect. Um, okay. i just I just didn't really see it with him he's a four year guy. Uh, he wasn't super productive. he was not efficient as an underclassman. Um, so you, like you're really kind of talking about like the most dangerous thing is a senior wide receiver who earns their draft capital that year. Like we want guys who, if they're coming out after four or five years, we want them to be, you know, these guys who were hyper productive for their entire career. We've seen some really strong receivers in that archetype. But the guy who, you know, it doesn't really do that much, has a really good senior year, gets the draft capital. Those have been pretty dangerous picks. And then you also look at Jahan Dotson just being really small, 178 pounds. He's uh he's under five eleven. And like you talk about Darnell Mooney is the number one team, number one wide receiver on his team. We're not excited. To me, that's kind of like Dotson's future, maybe like even if he gets there, we're like, OK, but so what? Like the quarterback <laughs> play is not going to be great. You know, he's not going to be someone who commands a ton of targets. He doesn't have elite speed. He does not have four, four speed. He was not used really as a deep threat. Primarily, he's he's kind of used like as a classic outside wide receiver, but he's very small. Um, and he wasn't super productive so it does feel like a little bit like like a Darnell Mooney type where maybe he starts to move into the slot over you know this year or next year uh, to some extent and he we see him we see him being kind of a classic number one type who's really a number two type but they just haven't found the number one type yet Um, I think is his long-term upside right now he is a number two because Terry McLaurin's there and I think he'll be the clear number one so I think both long-term and short-term, I'm just not that high on Dotson. Um, Christian Watson is a similar type of low-floor bet, but you can immediately see the ceiling with him uh, just given the opportunity. And my brother Mike is a big Vikings fan, and mm-hmm. he told me that the, the word is that the Packers tried to make the same trade-up to pick 32 to take Christian Watson, um, was rejected, then they ended up trading up to get him at 34. So, you know, you could – you could argue Christian Watson like functionally is a first round pick. Yeah. Uh, so I don't necessarily think there's a huge draft capital discrepancy between him and Dotson, who I think most people thought would be like a late 20s pick. And I think maybe Washington got a little carried away there. Uh, and then Sky Moore. I mean, Sky Moore just has the profile that I- I'm looking for as the three year uh, early declare guy, hyper efficient, really productive, was awesome after the catch, which I think is going to be really good for this system. Not a deep threat. But has good speed, and so should be used. I think uh, he could be a really strong target earner in the intermediate area of the field. And if you look at the Chiefs, it's like they've got a deep threat in MVS, they've got a shallow guy in Juju. What they really need is someone who can soak up intermediate targets. Sky Moore can do that right away. And some of the biggest hits that we've seen in fantasy football have been from the second round. You know, we've gotten AJ Brown, we've gotten DK Metcalf, we've gotten Michael Thomas. Like I, the second round draft capital does not worry me. I think you know it's sufficient if you also have a really strong profile, which Sky Moore does.
0: Do you like Sky over Christian Watson, straight up?
1: Yes, I do. Okay.
0: Look, it's a new situation. It's 20. Just because something didn't happen in 2000 and 2021 can't, doesn't mean it can't happen in 2022. But, yeah, when I look at the list of first-year Packers wide receivers since 2000, James Jones, 676 yards, Greg Jennings, 632. That's the best. And with Aaron Rodgers specifically, we only have MVS at 581 who's that seems like, you know, Christian Watson, no one's replacing Devontae Adams. I don't think the Packers would try to kid themselves. And, you know, they went out and they've gotten Sammy Watkins. Like that makes sense. Like it's, If you're not going to pay Devontae Adams, don't go pay someone else to pretend that they are Devontae Adams. So I'm not, you know, criticizing their team building, but just, you know, having that expectation that Watson's going to step in and give you a true huge ceiling. I think probably the most likely scenario in both KC and green Bay is we see a bunch of guys, you know, flirting with that six to 800 yard mark, but Mm -hmm. Sky Moore does seem to have the better chance to uh, make that leap. I am with you with him over Watson, Pat. Great stuff. I want to get, your information though on a very hot topic because this year this year we've already seen it i've made the jokes you probably made the jokes but Velas jones is now the guy who we have not seen take a professional snap but we're writing him off he's too old you know even when he's gonna make a catch we're gonna talk about like the how much is beard grew or some shit and this time he got in the end zone we're writing him off same thing seemingly with giants wide receiver Dale robinson he's too small it's the giants they already have tony what are you doing how'd the patriots take wide receiver Tyquan thornton in round two they're already loaded there he's just a fast guy what are you doing i mean even 49ers danny gray round three i don't think i've heard a single person talking up danny gray as a viable fantasy guy this year yet he was a round three pick so i see the holes with these guys i'm sure you do too out of these players though, Wandale Robinson, Taquan Thornton, Velas Jones and Danny Gray, which of them would you most be willing to actually throw a dart at ahead of 2022.
1: Wandale Robinson's the guy for me. Uh his profile's pretty strong actually. Like he has everything that I'm looking for really. Uh in term he does he's also small. He's 178 pounds, and he's even shorter than Dotson. Um yeah, he's 5 foot 8 and, and a little and some change listed at 511 at Kentucky. <laughs> he's not 511. Uh but <laughs> He was really uh, efficient in yards per outrun, uh, 2.86 career yards per outrun, which is awesome. Uh, he was very productive, 35% career yardage share, which is super high. I mean, I've been talking about Traylon Burks and how much, you know, his career numbers. Uh, that's that's one of the big reasons that I like him more than London. He had a 36% career yardage share, but Wando Robinson, just 1% behind him. I mean, his profile is really great. It's just that he was smaller than we wanted, and then he didn't have the athleticism. So you're like, what is this guy? I thought he was like this athletic hybrid guy. And now the NFL is not even going to be interested. But then I think we like are still sticking with that. The NFL is interested. They took him in the second Mm -hmm. round. So I think he's a slot receiver and, you know, he's going to potentially get a lot of work right away. And he did everything that we're looking for in terms of production. It's just that he's, he's kind of small, but like, I don't know. At a certain point, an undersized slot receiver does become interesting if they're going to be good. And Wando Robinson looks like he might be good. And like at wide receiver, the athleticism, once a draft position comes in, like it's kind of the thing you want to make like small adjustments for, maybe, but you do not want to be like taking a guy off your board because he's he's not athletic. Uh, so Wando Robinson, I do think makes sense. I think Thornton, kind of the opposite case where like he's so fast <laughs> that, uh, you know, you could see him just kind of defying a lot of the stuff in terms of the, the production profile, which he really doesn't have. Um, Felix Jones is funny because he's the type of guy where if he was a, like a fifth round pick, I would be saying, look, you know, he, he ran a four three one and he's going to be active <laughs> on game days because he is awesome as both a punt returner and kick returner. You, if this is a wide open depth chart, he's going to be active. So like we should be taking shots, but instead, because he went the third round, everyone's like, Gross. No, thanks. (laughs) (laughs) So we're kind of like just completely out. and It's like we shouldn't be completely out. I mean, it was a bad pick. It was a bad pick, but we shouldn't be completely out. Uh, let's, Danny Craig let's watch the guys is-
0: let's watch the guys play some games man I'm these are quarterbacks I'm referencing but like I remember Josh Allen Justin Herbert Daniel Jones like when these guys got drafted they were just completely written off and like I'm not saying every bad you know every perceived bad draft picks gonna turn into Josh Allen or Justin Herbert but like even Daniel Jones who Yeah, they're not picking up his fifth year contract. You can probably call him a bust. Like, he still gave us some fantasy goodness. Like, even if Velas Jones is not a great NFL player, if he has enough volume in a wide open situation, he's still going to be worth his absolutely free uh, uh, price of admission. So, I'm, you know, don't load up on him, but let's also not, let's not, let's not watch the guy ball out in the preseason and just be like, no, I'm still out on him. It's stupid. He's too old. So, keep an open mind with it. But now, uh, now continue.
1: (laughs) And I, well, I do think that being active on game day thing is important because like, maybe there are some really big growing pains for him as a receiver that would be expected given his profile his advanced age and everything. You know, he's got probably ways to go. Like I'm saying, all these guys need to get better in the NFL, but he's going to be active. So, you know, he's not going to just have, pull a complete disappearing act where it's like, Oh, remember they drafted Beals jump. Look, we're going <laughs> to see him out there. And You know, maybe he's able to impress and and get uh, a little bit more playing time. Maybe they use him on some sweeps and they use him kind of like Anthony Swartz a little bit last year. But but maybe they need him to play a bit more than Swartz did. Um, So, yeah, I mean, if you got speed and special teams ability, you know, you should maybe take the occasional dart throw on the guy. Uh, Danny Gray, I I think I struggle with even more like he is the type that he's kind of the guy I'm just sort of forgetting exists. uh, Doesn't really have much that I'm looking for, but he is fast and so it's like am i gonna take a kyle shanahan receiver and just and who's fast and just like forget he exists that seems like a mistake so i i I agree with you i think the draft capital for all these guys should have us taking shots i think
0: kyle shanahan's gonna dial up that you know like 2019 travis benjamin role. get him like 10 12 Mm. 10 12 snaps a game and probably like 70 air yards uh, to go along with it but yeah i mean danny gray i he's probably not going to start in three wide receiver sets. Like obviously Debo and Ayuk for now. And Juwan Jennings, I think does enough for them mm-hmm. in the run game. Even if he does start in three wide receiver sets because of how much Kyle juice check is used and stuff. Like it's just, you, we couldn't use, couldn't even think about using Jennings last year because the routes were just so low. So it's going to be tough for gray with Wandale, And I don't kind of say the same thing about Thornton. Just they're already paying born. They're paying Aguilar, which never made sense. Still doesn't, but he's there. Traded for Devontae Parker, Jacoby Myers. We got the tight ends and a run-first offense. Not loving that. Vilas, I think he brought up a lot of good points. Can't be out on him. Wandale's the interesting one because there is Tony last year. He was primary slot, but we saw him have games where he was used just as much, if not more, on the outside. I think the Sterling Shepard injury was actually what kind of forced him more into this slot. Sterling, love him. He does great when he's out there. We can't just assume because Cam Akers came back from an Achilles so quick that now in the rest of time that these Achilles injuries are going to be so easy to overcome. So for Shepard and James Robinson, there's a chance they don't play football next year. Like that's in their range of outcomes. Maybe the Kadarius, Tony, rumors, there is something to them. Wandale Robinson, man, he could be the Giants starting slot receiver from day one. Worst case, maybe kind of like a souped up Isaiah McKenzie type for Brian Dable. Mm -hmm. I'm not totally out on this Giants offense.
1: Yeah, and I I think – Tony maybe has like a Deontay Johnson type skill set, ultimately. You know, he he got open really easily. Everyone He he did that on the outside. Yeah, it wasn't just he's not a slot receiver, I think. I think maybe they looked at the film and said, uh, Kadarius Tony is either going to play on the outside for us or we're trading him because he won't show up. But, uh, you know, maybe they they feel like he's better on the outside. Um, I think Wanda Robinson probably is their starting slot receiver and I'm I'm skeptical of of the Sterling Shepard recovery as well I I, I Achilles tears are, are tend to be pretty pretty bad so and what it was like November or something that he tore it so okay. um, yeah I think it's it's probably safe to project someone else to start most of the year for the slot uh, for the Giants other than Shepard and I don't know. It feels like Robinson should have the inside track at this point point. and second round draft capital. I mean, that's that's a big commitment.
0: I, will, I mean, the four guys that have or the three guys that have come back from the Achilles recently, OJ Howard, CJ Uzoma, Cam Akers, four guys actually put Marlon Mack in there. We're good. We're not good at all. We're objectively bad in the first year back. CJ Uzoma a little bit better. I don't want to, you know, throw him too much under the bus. Did good things with the Bengals. But, you know, I watched those Bengals games. Uh, The two touchdowns, 90 yards against the Ravens. Like, I don't think there's anyone within 20 yards of him uh, both times. But CJ Uzoma, slander aside, uh, yeah, don't freaking assume that guys can come back from the Achilles and be at 100% with absolutely no lost time. Pat, great stuff. I've kept you longer than I've, than I've asked, but I need one more thing from you. Your favorite day three wide receiver dart, and why is it maybe Romeo Dobbs? Last year uh, I set you up, and I think I was I nailed Brandon Ayuk as someone we were both excited about. <laughs> is it Romeo Dobbs? Can we get behind him?
1: It is, yeah, yeah, that, that let's is the go. guy. I like this draft class because we didn't get a lot of guys who I like going to day three. Like David Bell, you know, he almost he almost got the day three, but uh, luckily we got him in round three. Um, I think Justin Ross is really the only other guy that you could kind of consider as is, is this guy, but he didn't even get drafted. So uh, not technically a day three guy. It has to be Dubs. Dubs is sort of interesting because he wasn't like super, super productive in college, but he was pretty productive. Um, not quite to the level that you like for a four-year guy, but, but pretty solid. And he was also pretty efficient, not incredibly efficient, but decently efficient, 223 uh, yards per hour as his underclassman, he had a 14.5 a dot which you know means he was very much a deep threat we don't have a 40 for him it don't doesn't seem like he's expected to be like super fast he's only 201 pounds at 6'2, so it's kind of like is he really going to be kind of likely a slow deep threat he, he didn't have a great yards per target maybe that's not like kind of the role that's going to work for him at the NFL level. But if you look at, you know, to your point with Christian Watson, if you look at how he's going to fit in the offense, I think the easiest way for Christian Watson to develop some rapport with Aaron Rodgers is basically just be MVS from the start. And maybe he gets used on some more design stuff and he gets, you know, he gets more intermediate targets and MVS had like a 17 something, a dot. He was like a pure, pure deep threat. Watson, maybe he's more like 14, 15, field stretcher but also has some more intermediate targets as well but if christian watson's in that role then you could see dubs maybe working into the slot or something maybe he gets used more on some intermediate stuff we've seen this before with chris godwin who was more of a deep threat in college and transitions into the slot i think you can see that uh with some of these receivers especially when there's opportunity where like if the packers need to try out a guy and three different roles like who's standing in the way of that you know so if you've got a productive receiver landing on a team with a ton of opportunity and really great quarterback play yeah i i think that's the day three guy
0: romeo dobbs heard it here from pat i've been a lifelong romeo dobbs fan for literally weeks man so this is just music (laughs) to my ears i got the dogs going nuts upstairs because they're excited (laughs) as well that's Love gonna it. wrap it up man pat thank you again so much for time again people can follow you on twitter at pat corain with a k don't forget the fucking k people let people know what you're up to this summer
1: yeah we're working on a draft guide now uh getting getting the ranks over uh as we speak working on and then um gonna have lots of lots of good articles and, and great content in there and then gonna be writing some more research-based articles for the summer seems kind of crazy that we're like we're we're zooming past the dynasty part of the offseason yeah. and going right into the best ball redraft part. Uh, it, it happened quicker than it feels like it should have, but we're here. So uh, yeah, I'm going to be doing uh, some more research based stuff like I did last year. Um, and then, yeah, going to be, going to be the season before we went out. NBC Sports
0: Edge. And the thing that particularly impresses me about, uh, you know, you, Denny, and Pat, the whole crew, as someone that used to work for Roto World myself, man, people just don't know what goes into the news grind, like, every single day, like, having to uh, carry some of those hours the blurbs, you know. The responsibility of really being the premier news source of our lovely fantasy football industry here, on top of all the content, podcasts, and written, truly a great job by all of you. So, again, check out Pat and check out the NBC Sports Edge Fantasy Football Preview. Always fantastic stuff from that crew. For Pat, I'm Ian. Thanks as always for tuning in to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. Until next time, take care, everybody.